radio for a really great future. We're talking real money. Hello again. Welcome to the Talking Real Money Daily Podcast, Somber Edition. Before I get into the somber portion of the podcast, let me start by apologizing for the lack of daily podcasts last week. I was away from the studio in Seattle, Washington, working a whole lot, getting ready for Retire Me 2020, which happened over the weekend, which was very good. And uh, thank you all for attending, those of you who did. Now, to the somber. Yes, it was a very bad day. It was. It was actually a really bad day for stocks. Uh, Now, of course, everybody quotes the stupid Dow. I hate the stupid Dow. The Dow is stupid. But this time, the Dow and everything else kind of took a beating together. It was a mass beating. The only thing that did well today was, of course, that thing that does well when people get scared. That's gold. Gold's a terrible investment. Don't go there. What we saw today, let's use the Dow since everybody else uses it for now. The Dow was down over a thousand points. (laughs) It just sounds like so much. But remember, the Dow is about 28,000. It's just below 28,000 right now. That is, by the way, just to give you all the historical stupidity, that is the third biggest point drop in history and the 10th biggest percentage drop in history. Now, curiously, the other two biggest point drops, point drops, because remember, it's a big number. Those happened only two years ago in February of 2018 where the uh, Dow dropped uh, 1,100, almost 1,200 points on February 5th, 2018, and then a little over 1,000 points on February 8th, 2018. And uh, those were also among the bigger point declines, or percentage declines bigger than now. They were 8th and ninth biggest in history. The biggest drop in history, one day drop for the Dow as a percentage, was, of course, in 2008. The first, the second, And the third biggest percentage drops in history happened in 2008. The fifth also happened in 2008. The fourth and the sixth biggest drops in history happened in 2000-2001, which was another big bad bear market. Uh, So 2018, though, that was a pretty terrible year. And actually, February of 2018 was more than twice as bad as what we've had right now. More than twice as bad. You remember that? You probably don't. Because 2019, that erased that bad memory, didn't it? Even though, by the way, in 2019, even in 2019, there was a similar drop to what we experienced today in percentages. There was a 3% drop in in August, just last August. Do you remember that? Probably not. That's important to note. Probably not. So for all of you sitting around asking yourself, well, what should I do now? Well, what can you do now? Well, what do you think you should do? Okay, it's already dropped 3.5%. In fact, all of the major markets, U.S. and international, dropped a lot. So what should you do? Sell? 
Okay, let's say you sell. If you sell, you guarantee the loss. You, you, you've made the loss official now. It's for sure. It's there for forever. Then what do you do with the money? You put it in the bank and earn one-tenth of one percent? Put it in a bond and earn one and a half? Okay, if you want to. If it makes you feel better, sure. But what if you really want to be in the stock market long-term? Because you know long-term it does pretty well. Well... When are you going to get back in? Here's what you're going to tell yourself. I know what you're going to tell yourself. I've been doing this too long. I'll get in once all of this stuff settles down. Once this coronavirus thing settles down. Once this presidential thing settles down. Although the coronavirus thing is the big thing right now. Do you think they're going to ring a bell for you personally telling you that now the coronavirus is over and you can get back in, you, you think you're going to know? Did you know that this was going to happen last year? Of course you didn't. Stop and think. Stop and turn on your brain. Turn off the emotions. Your emotions are the most dangerous thing you can have as an investor. Your emotions are the enemy of your future. They are not its friend. The market went down today. We do not have a clue what it will do on the morrow. In 2018, in October of 2018, in just a week, you would have lost over 15% if you were in the Dow. 15% in one week. Now, was that the end of it at that point, or was it going to get worse? Well, it got worse for a while. And so people said, well, maybe I'll get out now. Well, you know, it wasn't all that bad. By February, it was just, I mean, by uh, December of 2018, it was declining, but but not horribly, not as bad. And then it looked just bleak. Everything just looked awful. We're down 50% by January of 2019. It, 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 it had never, ever looked bleaker than at that moment. And people wanted to get out. And they did. And then in February, we started a bull market that with occasional interruptions like 2018 has continued through Today, really? So here's the key. Emotions, check them. Portfolio, build the right one for your personal situation. How much risk do you need to take to have the income you need in retirement? If you don't know that, well, then you need to know that before you make another move. Then, how much volatility... Can you stand in a globally diversified portfolio before you're going to panic? You must know that. Then build a globally diversified portfolio of stocks all over the planet and bonds that will not kick you into that emotional threshold, into the emotional turmoil that causes you to behave badly. So I am telling you, this is so important. Tell all your friends when they say, what do you, what do you think about the market? What do you think we should do? What do you think? You do nothing. You take a breath, a deep one, and then you decide what your plan will be going 
forward. You must plan for and not react to what markets do. Declines in the market are part of the price we pay for the returns of the market. So hang tight and keep listening. And if you want to call us and talk about this, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we'll take your calls at 855-935-TALK and answer them on the podcast, 855-935-8255. Oh, you can also go to TalkingRealMoney.com, and this is an absolute offer. This is not a sales pitch. Want to talk with an advisor? See if you're on the right track. Even if you want to be a do-it-yourself for the rest of your life, great. Please go set up an appointment with one of our advisors. I promise no sales pitch. Although, I also can tell you they're incredibly busy after retirement because a lot of people realize that they need help. So, really busy. And let's sneak in just a couple of quick questions. I don't want to run too long today because I really want you to get the message about the market. But we need to do a couple because we've got a lot of them piled up. So let's see. Um, we'll start here. It's about domestic and international funds. Hi, guys. Love your show. You often recommend VTWAX, VTWAX, Vanguard Total World Stock Index Fund for the equity side of a two-fund portfolio alongside VBTLX the Vanguard Total U.S. Bond Index Fund. Is this superior to a three-fund portfolio which separates international and domestic stocks into two funds, or is it merely simpler? I notice that VTWAX contains 8,423 equities, while the combination of VTSAX, which is the total U.S. index, and VTIAX, which is the total international index, contains a total of 11,002. That's an additional 2,579 equities. I understand the simplicity of having only one fund is beneficial, but for someone like myself who is willing to regularly rebalance to the appropriate U.S. international allocation, do you see any benefit to having the international and domestic in one combined fund and ha hence missing out on the additional 2579 equities in my portfolio? Is there a benefit to having the extra stocks? Do you think it is enough to be worth the occasional rebalancing? Thanks. Yes, I actually do. However, we don't recommend it because people are really bad about rebalancing. If you are good at it, you're exceptional. As a matter of fact, if you're good about rebalancing, you might want to toss, so I don't know, five or 10% of the equity side of the portfolio into uh, their small cap growth index at Vanguard. Their small cap, I'm sorry, not small cap, cap growth, small cap value index at Vanguard. Yeah, I got to get that right. Which is uh, the symbol is V S oh V I S V X V A V I S V X, uh, because we do believe that uh, value and small add a substantial potential for additional returns. But you must rebalance because they also offer the potential for a lot greater volatility. So yeah, I mean, the more is better, but the rebalancing is the trick. Thanks so much for the note. I do appreciate it. And now on to our very last question of today, but we'll get to all the other ones eventually. I'm working my way through them. So keep sending them in to TalkingRealMoney.com or call them in to 855-935-TALK, uh, 855-935-8255, 24 hours a day. This question comes from Alaska. Hi, guys. 
Isn't there a break-even date for taking Social Security at 62 years old versus 70 years old? In other words, if I live for 20 years after 62, wouldn't I eventually get the same amount of money at 82 that I would receive if taking it at 70 and living until 82? Okay, here's the deal. Break-even is about 77 years old. So, if you're pretty confident you're going to die before 77, take it early. If not, if you would, uh, and by the time, by the way, by the time you reach your mid-60s, your, your, your average life expectancy is well into its 80s. If you expect to live longer and have an income, because that's kind of important if you have an income up till 70, then you delay because you're better off. But uh, the break-even is right around 77, and that means that for most people, waiting is the best strategy. But it's a personal decision, and it does have a lot to do with what your earning situation is, your living situation is. Thanks for the note. Thank you all for the notes. Thank all of you who call. I want to thank all of you who listen and all the uh, the folks who tell their friends and relatives and the like and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast services. We're all over the place. And by the way, we're going to be interviewed soon on Paul Merriman's podcast, Sound Investing. He interviewed us a couple of days ago, and you can hear that on your favorite podcast service. Let's see what else. Um, well, just thanks for being there. By the way, don't panic. Stay calm. Know your risk tolerance. Go to TalkingRealMoney.com and take a risk quiz. It's free, no obligation. Take it. Find out what your risk tolerance is. Invest for that. And then... You can stop worrying about what the market does day to day. I don't worry about it. You shouldn't either. Thanks for being there. I'm Don McDonald. Talking real money. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for educational and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately consistently predict the future. So past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Vestry, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. Are we done now?